Amen. So this morning, uh, as you can see, uh, titled this, I don't want big on titling messages, but I've called it out of order. Uh, we were finishing up uh, 1 John chapter 5 uh, this past week and, and, and Wednesday night. So I thought, well, it'd be a good time to stop off and address this here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. And, um, you know, many times when, when we were younger, um, and I hope moms, by the way, happy Mother's Day, but I hope moms don't get angry with me. But we were always told that you must wait, you know, must wait. You can't go swimming right after you eat your food, right after you eat, right? And I see somebody laughing. You, you got to wait. You can't go swimming. You'll get muscle cramps. And so for years and years growing up, there was this 20 to 30 minute moratorium where I, you had to stay at the water's edge. You know, and you're just dying to get back in the water. I got a little bit older, a little bit wiser. And realized that, yes, it does, that the, the cramps that would, God forbid, cause you to drown are caused by deprivation of oxygen to the muscles. Right, Cam? Cam's our resident expert in, in anatomy, right? So, and yes, it does take more blood to digest food, but not enough blood that would cause you to be a lack of oxygen that would cause you in the middle of the lake to oh, cramp up and you're done. So, so that, was, that was something... Um, you know, of course, my kids, I, I let them go and so forth. But, but I say that because likewise, we're going to see from the text today, something we've either, either been told or believed may not necessarily be true or may be a little misunderstood. And there's some ramifications that it can have in the church that it does have. And so we're, we're, going, to, we're going to talk about that. So it, this verse today, and I want to say this right at the get-go. We do a lot. We're big on evangelism. Praise the Lord. This is more of an in-house message, okay? This is God's house. The purpose of the church is to build up the saints in the gospel and see how effective they are going beyond the four walls and winning those into the kingdom. That's the two marks of a successful church. How well they know the gospel, how effective are they at going out. In that spirit, this is not, I want to give this warning, this is not something I would lead off with with an unbeliever on the street. Because they're not going to understand this, okay? So this is an in-house, just for you, okay? So, so, so keep that in mind and, and see, hear this message through that prism. That, that, that it speaks to a truth about natural man. And based on that truth, it's going to demonstrate our need for redeeming power and love and mercy and grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the right understanding of this passage, um, it, it's going it's to affect our evangelism. It's going to affect how we evangelize. You're going to see that. So our passage is 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. And I'm reading from the NASB. It says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Now, I'm going to do what we're not supposed to do in church. And I'm going to get on my cell phone. And then I'm going to get on Facebook because I, just for you, I have collected scientific data. Not really. Scientific as, as, and I took a poll yesterday of this question that I'm going to pose before you just to make my point. And the question is this, and I don't want to see a show of hands because I don't know what side everybody comes down on. Here's the question. Now, which, which is it? Which camp are you in? A or B? Camp A, you must believe to be born again. Or camp B, you must be born again to believe. Now, which camp are you in? Modern day church teaches last 40, 50 years that you must believe to be born again. Older than that in church history, and we're going to see in scripture, teaches you must be born again to believe. 
Just, just for fun, I threw a poll yesterday on Facebook, and out of, I got 31 responses. So right now, the split is 42% believe you must, 42% say you must believe to be born again. 58% shows that you must be born again to believe. I put the poll up, so I got a lot of reformed friends, so that's probably why there's 58% over there. So I've got good friends. So if anybody's listening to this online, thank you, Facebook friends in the reformed camp. So, so that's the question. That's the big question. Do you believe to be born again, or are you born again to believe? Now, this may seem trivial, but this is important. Okay? And again, this is an in-house discussion, not something I would lead off with in the workplace or out on the street unless the conversation got there. So, so, so there's the warning. There's the poll. And let's get into the text. Now, uh, how qualified am I? I'm not. I'm just called to preach, but I will say this. And I wrote an article a while back called, Do Former Roman Catholics Make Better Protestants? And it wasn't an arrogant thing, but it was just coming from the out. I come from outside the camp. I haven't been in the last 30, 40 years of typical American evangelical Protestantism. Okay, so some of these things that I see, I just look in Scripture, and if it says it, I believe it, and that's it. I don't debate it. I don't... But there are some different leanings and things. And so, so I come from a, from, from a different thing. So I'm not influenced by so many years. So when I came across this and I see that the, what the Bible teaches about being born again before you believe, I was like, okay, that just makes sense. But if you've been in a church for 30 and 40 years and you've been taught you've got to believe to be born again, I would encourage you just to have an open mind. Just, just let God's word speak and, and, and just, just consider what God's word says. There, there is a right and wrong answer to this. And, and, and to find that answer, we're going to do two things. I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't know Greek do that. But I, I do have a slab of meat between my ears and did some research and some studies. I'm going to show you a little bit in the text of the Greek. But then we're going to let Scripture, we'll spend most of our time, let Scripture interpret Scripture. How many would agree that God's a pretty good interpreter of the own book that he wrote? So we're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture, okay? Now, at the onset, just as we condemn the Roman Catholic Church for holding up tradition to the same level as Scripture, and rightfully so, because Scripture trumps everything, we've kind of done the same thing in the Protestant Church. Not tradition in the typical sense, but tradition as in what has been traditionally handed down generation to generation. You must believe to be born again. That, That kind of thought. Okay. Now, many in the church today, the reason why this, I, I believe one of the, the, the prevailing reasons why this has happened is because many of us, and I don't say this to get a dig at anybody, I'm just simply stating a fact. You look around the church, if you have a lot of conversations with lost folks like I do or nominal professing Christians, the majority in America, especially around here, Bible knowledge, Christianity is about a mile wide and, and, and at about a centimeter deep. Nobody wants to take the time to dig into the depths of Scripture. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to do this. But nobody wants to sit and pray and meditate and marinate even on Scripture to see what it says. We just want this surface understanding. And out of that grows the fastest selling version of the Bible. You know what that is right now. What version, right? The TMV. Have you guys seen it yet? The trail mix version. It's where people just pull out what they like. <laughs> trail mix version. You can use that one. It's free. So, the, the, but, but that's what leads to that. We go around, for example, for example, the Bible says the Lord will give me the delights of my heart. He'll give me the desires of my heart. Well, that's true, but you just can't take that. You've got to take the whole verse. What's the whole verse say? He who's delighting in the Lord, he'll give. So if I'm delighting in the Lord, I'm not going to desire the worldly things, right? So, so we need to keep it in context and, and stay in Scripture, not just like if you're like me with a trail mix, I, I make people mad to eat it with me because I always pick out the M&M's or the good stuff and I leave the other, I don't want the other stuff. 
By the way, why does Trail Mix always have cheap M&Ms? You ever notice that? It's not the good M&Ms, it's the cheap, anyway. So, so, but we need to be able to, to, to go beyond that shallow surface. And you know what? I'm guilty sometimes, and I'm sure we all are here. We, we get the busyness of life and, and everything is going on, okay? We need to repent of that and, and, and come back in and, and give the scripture its, its due. Give God our, our time and attention. So, so I want to take a look quickly at the, um, at the Greek here for a minute, and then we're going to spend most of the time in Scripture. So we're looking at some very basic definitions used here. Now, as we go, we see here the first verb here. You see that? Born of God. Okay? Now, what you have to understand is born of God is in the perfect tense. Okay? When, when, when it's in the perfect tense, now you've got to get this, and once you get this, it'll unlock a lot of things for you. A, a, a verb in the perfect tense is it means it refers to a completed action. Right. All right, it's a completed action. It's the perfect tense that has abiding results in the present. A completed action with abiding results in the present, and and you see the word there to believe. Then the Greek it's a present participle means it's ongoing. It's it's a sa- the saving faith. This belief is an ongoing. It's an ongoing belief there. Okay. It's, it's an ongoing belief. So we put it together. We see that because the believer has been born of God, he or she believes. Okay. Also, when you read scripture, and here's where we're going to get into the, the, the scripture, interpreting scripture. We can't get beyond. Okay. We, we need to look, not only let scripture interpret scripture, but we have to look at authorial intent. What was John trying to say to these people? Who was he speaking to? How would they have heard what John said? All these are very important, friends. They're very important. Um, and, and so we need, to, we need to see who was John speaking to. First, John was written to believers. John was probably older in his age. This was more of his writing ministry time and writing and encouragement and so forth. So, so how would the believers have seen this? We want to look at that. So, so first John chapter 5, verse 1 is our, our main verse here. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is the Lord is born of God. Now let's look at this pattern that John shows us. If we zoom out a little bit, and let, let, let's see what John has for us. We look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. And that says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also, also who practice righteousness is born of him. Again, we see the same verb, born of God. Okay? We see that same word, born of God. And what's the action there? Practices Righteousness. You see that? John's showing us a pattern. Let's look at another verse in the same book, and you'll probably be able to pick this up now that you're seeing this pattern. We look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. What's it say? It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is what? Born of God. There you go again. Same pattern. Born of God. And because they're born of God, they love. So you, so you see this, this pattern here that John is establishing. So so when we go and we look, we look at the scriptures, you know, if we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, if somebody was not born of God, could they practice righteousness in no. God's sense? No. Could they? No. If somebody was, was not born of God, could they love the way God calls to love, not the superficial worldly love? No. No. So why do we think then that we can have a saving faith and belief if we haven't been born of God? It's the same pattern. Amen. Same structure. It's a parallel all down through there. We see that. We see that, 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 that um, there we go, the action. You're, he's born of God. And because we're, because we're born of God, the result, believe. 
Because we're born of God, we can practice righteousness. And because we're born of God, we can love in the way God calls us to love. Amen. So I want you to think about that and see that pattern. Because, friends, that's, that's something we have to be mindful of when, we, when we're reading this. And so, so why do we bring this up? Why do we want to talk about this? Well, we, we need to understand this because this is going to affect some other things in our life, some very important things in our life. First of all, it will affect how we see man's nature. Now, here's where it gets a little, people want to start pulling their toes back a little bit, but we, we, we can't get around this. So why would John teach such a thing? Why, what, why is it, what is he basing this on? Well, remember all of Scripture, right? If God does not act first, we don't have any hope. Right. We don't have any hope. Now, I know many churches, and maybe some in here, I don't know, do not like the E word. Say it. Election. Say it. Election. Amen. Everybody say that word. Election. It's in the Bible. Okay? I find it funny that John 3.16 is in the Bible. We have no trouble quoting it, slapping it on bumper stickers, but we get to election. And it's like the, 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 the evil, redheaded stepchild that nobody wants to talk to. It's election. It's in the Bible. In fact, many pastors, many I'm friends with, they do verbal gymnastics that make Mary Lou Retton's performance look mundane to try to get around using that word election. We don't want to say that word. But it's in Scripture. We have to deal with it. And again, we're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So we're going to jump around a little bit, but, but it's all going to flow together, come together there at the end. You can turn there or you can just listen. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Is where and for me, this sells it. I don't even argue it anymore. I say, listen, if, if you don't like this, you can take this up with God. Genesis 6, 5 gives us what God says about man, natural man. When I say natural man, I mean unconverted Natural man. Here's what Genesis 6, 5 says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Friends, that's us. Before you were born again, that's us. That's, us. that's where we start. We start born full of wickedness and every single intent of the thoughts of our heart are only evil continuously. That's us. The, 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 this description of natural man outside of a saving, the saving relationship with Jesus Christ is all throughout Scripture. Now listen, we try to rewrite that story. But our, when we write a story, our story has plot holes in it. <laughs> when God writes a story, he's the author of our faith. And God's story is perfect and complete. So we need to, we need to side with that and, and go that direction. You look Genesis 6, 5, and then we start seeing it all throughout Scripture. I'm not going to go all the way through, but just think our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know them? Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. Evil man brings out his evil treasure. What is evil? Matthew 12, 34 and 35. Out of our hearts come evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornicators, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. Matthew 15, 18 through 19. Out of the hearts of men proceeds evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murderers, adulteries. Mark 7, 21. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Luke 6, 45. Now, friends, with that type of evil, with that true God-given biblical definition of natural man, unconverted, unregenerated, who can choose God first? Who can believe God? God into a saving faith. 
unless you're redefining evil. And if you redefine evil in Genesis 6, 5, you've got a whole other problems all the rest of the, the rest of Scripture. Let me go here for a minute. Let me go here for a minute. You know, the Bible teaches that we're slaves, right? We're all slaves. I know that's probably not a PC word today, but we're all slaves, right? What are you, a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to sin? Right. There's, there's no in-between. Remember the old adage? The old adage to be partially saved is to be completely lost, yes. right? You, you're, 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 you're in Christ or you're in, you're in Adam. Listen, real quick, John, uh, Romans chapter 3, Paul says in verse 10, there's none righteous. And because in Paul's day, there was people like there are today. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not really not that bad. And Paul said, oh, not even one. And then he goes on and he just like in machine gun mode starts rattling off. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, keep, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Look, Paul's showing there's no one who understands that your mind is a slave to sin. There is no one who seeks your will is a slave to sin. There is none who does good. Your heart is a slave to sin. Their throat is an open grave. Your tongue's deceived. Your communication is a slave to sin. Their feet are quick to shed blood. Your actions, your violence, slave to sin. Outside of Jesus Christ. That's us. That's us. That's us. Now, we don't like this, some of us, and we, we don't want to do this, but... But, but God is in the heavens. God does as he pleases. Right? Amen. What's Romans 9 say? Who are you, O man? Right. What does the pot say to the potter? Or, 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 or in Job 38, right? Where were you? Where were you? This is God's word that we have to come under and be submitted to. And, 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 and I think that, that at some point we see... When, when Satan first sinned and, and got cast out of, out of his pride, right? It was pride. And in the garden, it was pride. Did God really say that? I, I think I can make this decision. It was pride. It's rebellion. And I just wonder if there's a mark, a scar spiritually maybe in some of us of that pride. That, that though it may not be obvious, it, it's just in the recesses of our, of our nature. And every once in a while, right? Because we're not made perfect until we die and stand before God for glorification. But this is, maybe that just that wants to come up and influence, to, to think that we have just a little tiny smudge to do with our salvation. Listen, every single one of us are spiritually stillborn. Every one of us. Now think about that for a minute. If you've ever been in a, in a hospital room or know somebody that's had a, a, a child that's been a stillborn, it's, it's heartbreaking. Why is it heartbreaking? Because that child is helpless. That child can't ask for help. That child can't cry out to the doctor. That child can't, that's us Amen. spiritually. Yes. When you are born, we are born in sin. David, 51, Psalm 51, 5, in sin I was conceived. Yes. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were what in your trespasses? Dead. Dead in your trespasses. Dead men don't talk. Dead men don't walk. Dead men don't ask. Cam, do you guys have any case studies of dead people coming back in the mortuary and asking for help? Okay, just make it short. So so we see that. And, And it's because we're dead in our sin and spiritually stillborn that we need God to act supernaturally. We love because what? He 
first loved us. Or, or that's at 1 John 4.19 or 1 John 4.10. And not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. And we know that salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2.9. It's all of God. It's all of God. This is, uh, this is what we call big God theology. And it's, it's becoming smaller and smaller, ironically, in, in most churches today. Because it puts man back down where he belongs, yes. below God. Amen. It gives us a low view of ourselves and a high view of God. Big God theology. He's sovereign. He's God. And the friends, when we're spiritually stillborn, we have a heart of stone. And what happens when you, when you come to Christ, when you're born again? That heart of stone can't believe. That heart of stone can't have a saving faith. But when you're born again, what happens? Ezekiel 36. Take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A heart that can respond. A heart that loves the things that God loves. A heart that hates the things that God hates. That's why in Romans chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, unless the man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. How many of you in here right now had anything to do with your birth? That's why Jesus used that example with Nicodemus. Amen. You must be born again. That's right. You didn't have anything to do with your first birth, second birth, likewise. It's all of God. Amen. It's monergistic. It's all God. It's, it's all through Scripture. So, so we look back on this text and, 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 and we see that the natural man cannot believe to God prior to be being born again. Right. And again, friends, I'm not trying to get in anybody's Cheerios. I'm just trying to make you think about what Scripture says. This is not something we're going to divide over and break fellowship over. I just want you to think. I want you to see what, what the Bible says. I want you to see what John's pattern is and how it all fits neatly together as only God can, can orchestrate. That we cannot redefine evil and that, that, that we see later on. Because think about it. If you believe to be born again, you had something to do with your salvation. Right. Now, what does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10? You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone of no good works that any man may boast. That's what the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses teach. That when you die, you go to heaven, stand here, and God, I did my best and you did the rest. And you shake hands. No, 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 no. It's all of God. It's all of God. His redeeming power. And do you see how it robs God of his glory? What makes God look more glorious? The fact that, that I mustered up. Some believing faith. And I said, God, I'm here. I believe. And then he saves you. Or I am a wretched, vile, evil, stillborn corpse at the bottom of the ocean. I have nothing to offer. And for no reason other than his glory and his good pleasure, God reaches from the heavens and reaches down and pulls you up off the ocean floor. Breathes life into you. Sets you on your feet. And makes you an ambassador of his court to go forth and win more. What makes God look more glorious? It's the example of our sin. Our sin shines most brightly against the, or I mean, God's glory shines most brightly against the backdrop of our sin. That's why when you go to a jeweler, that's why when you go to a jeweler, Cam, you ever meet a gal and you go and you're going to go. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go and you're going to find a diamond and ring and it's going to look okay. And here's what that jeweler's going to do. He's going to walk back and he's going to come up and he's going to get this nice, fluffy, black velvet, right? And he's going to lay it out on the counter. And then he's going to pick up one of those little diamonds. He's going to put it right on that black. And boy, when he puts it against that blackness, every light in that jewelry store is going to catch every facet of that diamond. It's just going to 
Your eyes are going to light up. Oh, I want that one. That blackness is our sin. That diamond is the glory, saving, redeeming power of Jesus Christ. And how much brighter does it shine and reflect in every single direction when it's against the, the, the blackness of our sin? Salvation is not some prize that we can earn. It's a gift. You don't earn a gift. If you earn something, it's a reward. A gift is given freely. It's given freely. That's why we don't pray for what we deserve. We deserve God's wrath and hell condemned condemned forever. We pray for what we don't deserve. His mercy and His grace. So, So we see how that can affect those things in that way. And so I want to look now at the other piece because I'm trying to show you how this applies to our lives. That that has to do with the understanding of our standing before God, okay, and how we should think about ourselves, how it should ground us to realize who we are in this salvation story that God has written, who he is, who we are, so we have a right standing. And now that we have that right standing and we know our place, so to speak, now let's look at how that affects when we go out to reach others. How we go out and something very near and dear to all in evangelism. I remember a few years ago, um, I think it was a couple, Christy, I don't remember how many, a couple years ago, uh, my oldest was coming back from college. I'm like a college kid trying to save a buck here and there. Thankfully, it wasn't that far away. And she's driving back home, save a buck or two. She stopped off at a Walmart gas station there in Weston, by the way. Don't ever get gas there. She gets gas there, and by the time she gets near the Lost Creek exit, she's just, her car's spitting and sputtering. She calls me, Dad, I need help. My car's breaking down, da 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 Well, she made it to a parking lot off the interstate there, thankfully. I picked her up. And, and by God's grace, it wasn't anything major. You know, you're freaking out because it's correct money and kind of great. Now her car's messed up. It was, it was cheap gas is what it was. I was able to take it and just throw some, I don't know, mechanic told me to put some stuff in the tank, and it worked, and, and it was good. But the thing is, is, is while it fueled her vehicle, Right? That cheap gas fueled the vehicle, but it didn't run the way it was supposed to. And it never got her to her final destination. Mm-hmm. Potentially, a misunderstanding of who you are in the salvation story and, and, and how that comes about, it might get you along, but you're going to be spitting and sputtering like her car. People that, that, that think more of themselves and think, well, I just got to believe and then God's got to save me. They go through life spitting and sputtering because they've never had that true regeneration. They've never truly been born again. They kind of got a little morality to soothe their conscience. And they kind of see little glimpses of this and that by God's common grace. But they just, they don't get there. They're spitting and sputtering. And sometimes they don't make it to their final destination. Now, I know God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. I get that. And he'll save who he'll save in his sovereignty for his glory. But here's how this affects evangelism. When we don't understand that, when we don't understand that, what we see happen, this manifests itself like some ugly, in, in God's sight, ugly, deformed monster. Because when we are hard and sold that we have to believe to be born again, rather than the other way around, here's what happens. It's with good intent, I'll give them that, but many churches focus on that first part. I just got to get somebody to believe. And when they misunderstand the work of God in salvation, the trueness of natural man, they miss it. And so what do they do? They try to, in their own efforts, get somebody to believe. Whatever we got to do to get somebody to believe. Whatever we got to do just to get them to walk the aisle, raise a hand, pray a prayer, fill out a card. Whatever we got to do. Because if they believe, they be born again. And this drives un. 
biblical, unsound evangelism. Amen. It looks like what we see when the church down the road has their, their, their yearly festival. I call it a circus. It's what it more resembles. And they, what do you see all over the poles? And yes, I'm being a little bit harsh because people's souls and eternities are at stake. You'll see signs up, free TVs, free Xbox, free bill pay, free dirt bikes, free, 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 free. With everything, with not one mention of Jesus Christ. Preach. I want to see that pastor, and yes, I'm calling him out because it's a long story. I want to see him go stand at the foot of the cross when Christ's blood is running down the tree that he created before eternity. And, and he's hanging on that tree. I want to see that pastor stand there and say, oh, Jesus, we're going to get a bunch of people to come here. We're going to offer a bunch of manna and a bunch of free, free outfits and stuff. And we're going to give them all this stuff. And then we're going to tell them later on about you. But we're going to get them here. Are you kidding me? Come on. Jesus Christ is enough. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. And it is this misunderstanding and unbiblical evangelism that's got the church in the position it's in today. That's why most statistics today show between 5 and 8% in any given church on any given Sunday are truly converted. 85 to 90% of America says they're born-again Christians. If 85 to 90% of Christians were truly born-again Christians, would we be struggling with, with, with uh, gay marriage? Gay mirage is what I call it. There's no such thing as gay marriage. Would we be struggling with slaughtering 3,500 babies every day in abortion murder mills? No. No. So that's where this gets us. And that's why it's such a burden. We have to get this right, friends. We, we have to understand. And here's what happens. So we, we use unbiblical methods of evangelism. And then we bring some guy on with the lights and the music and, and, and the nice little outfit and everything. And he comes up like a snake oil salesman. He twists scripture so bad that I just want to go home and sit in a corner and rub my Bible because it's been twisted out of context so bad. And then here's what he does. Here's what he does. It's emotional manipulation. And we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces what? repentance without regret that means a lasting leading to what salvation but when you get it wrong the sorrow of the world produces death yes and that's what they peddle they peddle that with unbiblical evangelism a misunderstanding of salvation it's a chain reaction like the jenga game you pull one piece and it all goes down it's a chain reaction so now we have a, a, a person on a stage with the lights and the music and everything just right. And this is what he's doing. What's to say there in 2 Corinthians 7.10, the second part there. But, sor- but, but sorrow, based on worldly sorrow, leads to death. Yes. Because what's their message? Oh, just come to Jesus. You can have a nice life. Just come to Jesus. You can have a nice this, a nice that, a new life, a new wife, a new job, more money, a nicer car, a nicer house. All these things is worldly sorrow. There's no repentance. There's nothing preached that we have talked about this morning that brings man down so low and shows us that we need a a savior. It's just worldly sorrow they build up. And then with the right band and the right lights and the right music, they, they get everybody to raise a hand and repeat some silly prayer that no evangelist anywhere in scripture ever used. Amen. And then they pronounce them saved. Yes. They must have divine powers because I, I, I know a lot of pastors a lot better than I and none of them can see in somebody's heart. Nobody, none of them would ever say you're saved, you're not. Now we see fruits and evidences, I get that. But you can't, this shotgun, and what do they say? They, they, they boast on their page. 
2,000 saved tonight. 1,300 saved. Listen, they've been running this circus for the last few years. If all these thousands of people were saved, would Clarksburg still be uh, plagued with all the addiction? Would Clarksburg still be plagued with all the murder? Would Clarksburg still be plagued with all the everything else you can imagine? Why don't they have five churches now? With all these thousands of people getting saved, surely these, these, these believers don't want to forsake the fellowship of the saints, Hebrews 10.26, right? If they're true believers, they're not. And here's the bad part, friends. Here's, uh, listen, here's where it really should hurt us and break our hearts as Christians. Those people walk out of there justified in their sin. Yes. They think they're safe. Never step foot back in the church again. And by golly, when they die, there'll be some pastor who will preach them into heaven or think he is at their funeral. Confirming to more people that, oh yeah, they sowed a lot, a lot, they did all these things. But I remember one time they raised a hand and they prayed a prayer. And it's all driven by a misunderstanding of poor evangelism, by a misunderstanding of, of, of who we are in the salvation story. So, I mean, think about that. If, if, if you just got to believe to be born again, who wouldn't? Man, this Jesus guy they're talking about, I just got a new TV, a new, new 55-inch TV. Yeah, I can worship this Jesus. You got two of them? Seriously. You see what we've done? You see what the church at large has done? That's what it's done. And so, so we can't do that. We, listen, when, when we go out on the streets or whether you're having a conversation in your home or in your place of work, it, that person, think of how, 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 how terrifying it would be that that person's eternity is based on your cleverness. That that person's eternity is based on your, your techniques and your tricks and your manipulative conversation. It's based on God. But when we have a misunderstanding of something like 1 John 5, 1, and we think, well, I just get them to believe and they'll be saved. Do you see? It's backwards. This was never taught in the church, friends, till about the last 50, 60 years. Yep. Go back into church history. Go back, in, go back into scripture. This, this was not, it was always taught you must be born again to believe. And that's where it can get it done. That's the practical application, how it gets us in trouble as a church. And it just continues to pile these people in. They come, they stay for a few months. The gospel's preached. That's not my Jesus. I'm out. And they leave and the next batch comes in. Because what you win them with is what you win them to. You win them with circus acts and pony rides and festivals and carnivals. That's what you win them to. Amen. And the minute you stop doing those things, they leave. Amen. Because they're not there for Jesus. Right. They're not there to be edified and built up in the word. They could give a rip about sharing their faith with anybody. So, 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 so friends, listen. This, this, this should do a couple things for the believer. Let's bring it home. So we see the practical application of what it does to us when, and how it can mar our evangelism efforts. But for the believer, for one, it should make every one of us in here so grateful that we have such a good God, such a merciful God, such a loving God that would take joy and pleasure and glory in redeeming a broken sinner. In, in, in bringing us and setting us up so that we could not only have eternal life, we could not only be born again, we could not only be washed of our sin, we could not only put on the righteousness of Christ, but that we would go from being a rebel to an ambassador. Oh, what a privilege. Yes. An ambassador. Yes. You mean God, me, the one who spit in your face and gave you the finger and did everything I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it, where I wanted to do it, to who I wanted to do it to? Me? You're going to use me to go, go out and do something? Well, yeah. That's the magnificent work of God. Yes. What, 
We have no credit to take in it. So for the belief, it should make you excited and happy and joyful that there is a God on the throne who's in control of everything. That is that loving and merciful that he would save wretched, vile sinners like us and use us. And then again, it should change how we look. That yes, we want that person to believe in Jesus, but then we know they've got to be born again. So how does that work? We preach the gospel, Romans 1.16. It's the power of my convincing argument to salvation. Eternal life, no. It's the power of my clever techniques. No. It's the power of the gospel. That's pride killing and reassuring at the same time. It's pride killing because we want to. We, we would like to have some credit if we're honest. Let's just be. We're among you're among friends. We're all sinners in here, right? You can be truthful. It'd be nice to have a little credit, but 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 so it kills our pride to realize God is sovereign over all. And at the same time, it gives us encouragement because we get it all the time. Well, if there's election, why do you guys go out and preach? Because we don't know who they elect are. Would one say it'd be nice if you just lift up a shirt tail and see who had an E stamped on their back? But we can't. But we know God is the author and finisher of the faith. That's why we go, because we cannot fail. Whether they, they reject God and get cast into hell fulfilling His wrath, or they turn to Christ and are saved and made a new creature, He gets His glory in either way. Amen. And we know that's guaranteed. God's Word does not return void. It does what it sets out to accomplish. Amen. Isaiah 55, 11, whether it's a gospel track, a conversation over coffee, on the street, anyway, God's word will accomplish its task. And that should give you encouragement. That's why we don't believe to be born again. We're born again to believe. Yeah. We have a new heart and we have that ability. So, so I hope this message has, has at least got you thinking. Again, I, I want you to consider these truths. And, and, and don't take my word for it. Go back and sit and, and, and see the verses and how John's pattern is. The way he talks and such through there. And, and I hope it encourages you to go out and realize it's not up to you. Do you realize what a pressure that is? It's off of you. It's not up to you. It's up to God to say. We just, we just, as one pastor says, it's just like we pick up the meal over here. We're like a butler. We pick up the meal and we bring it out and we set it on the table and try not to mess it up in the time we pick it up and set it down. That's all our job is. We just simply preach, preach the message. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this time we were able to spend in your word today, Lord. We thank you for the mercies and grace you extend to us, Lord, by calling us children. Lord, we thank you for the regeneration you've done in our hearts. We thank you for the hearts of stone that have been replaced with hearts of flesh. We thank you, Lord, for the mercy, the grace, the patience that you have with us, Lord. We thank you that you're a, a God that is slow to anger. Lord, we thank you that, that you're a God who desires us all to come to repentance. And Lord, what a, what a testimony of your word it is to see how such a loving God could rescue, save, redeem, and use unworthy vessels such as ourselves. So Lord, I pray that, that we would think and meditate on this, this concept of being born again to believe. I pray that it would be a, a joy to our heart, Lord, to see that the work is done. That Christianity is a religion of done. You've done it, Lord. You've done it. Not only have you done it, Lord, but your son, when the Bible tells us that all authority, in heaven and earth, all authority, God, is his. And he gives us that power through the Holy Spirit, Lord, to go out and to rescue more from, from, from the, the, the prisons of sin that they're in, Lord. Help us, Lord, to do your will. Help us to do your work. Help us to be faithful and not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power to God and the salvation, Lord. 
Help us to be faithful in not only proclaiming it, but, but being grateful, Lord, and resting in the, the fact that, that, that you are a big God. You are a great God. You are a mighty God. You are the God that we have no hope without. So, Lord, may you get your glory. May you get your glory, Lord. May you get your joy as we seek to, although be it sometimes imperfect, to carry this gospel, this beautiful message of eternal life to the lost. Lord, help us to, to speak it clearly, accurately, to the best of our ability, to the glory of your name. That your name may be exalted, that your kingdom may be extended, as we are washed and powered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all God's children said, Thank you.